Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. You know I've been talking about earned media value for quite some time on this podcast. My friends at Eisenberg have just raised the bar on earned media benchmarks with their social index. Social Index now gives you globally earned media values across a growing list of six geographies for all your KPIs across the top seven social platforms, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Snapchat, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube. You can now visualize these values for deeper analysis, and they have a look-back window over two years of historical comparisons. Social Index is updated daily. Don't get stuck with old data. Over 1,000 companies have used the Social Index to understand the ROI of their social campaigns. And if you work with a social agency, you should demand they incorporate earned media values into your reports. Get your earned media value for social content. Visit earnedmediavalues.com slash Allen. Again, that's earnedmediavalues.com slash A-L-A-N. For all of us, it's about predicting where the consumer is going and getting half of it right. One of the things we want to do is create ads that don't suck. Embracing change creates great possibility. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. Today on the show, I've got Dave Gerhardt. He's the chief marketing officer at Privy and just announced it. This is late January when we're recording. Prior to Privy, Dave was the VP of marketing at Drift, where he helped the company become one of the fastest growing B2B SaaS businesses of all time. He's been featured in Forbes, Fortune, Inc., Entrepreneur, TechCrunch, and the Harvard Business Review, and he's a guest lecturer at the Harvard Business School. He's also the co-author of the book on conversational marketing, which was a number one release on Amazon in marketing and sales and a top 20 business book in the U.S. He currently lives in Boston, and we're going to talk a lot about his, uh, his past experiences at other SaaS companies, as well as what Privy's up to, and they just launched their own new podcast. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Dave Gerhardt. Dave, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Well, I thought we could start with your background and where did you start marketing? And then I know we're going to hit the highlights of Drift and the most recent change that you just announced moving to Privy for the second time, but maybe just give us a little walk through, uh, walk through history. 
Yeah. So I think what I'm realizing now is that I've been this way my whole life, but I wasn't until I figured out what marketing actually what is and what marketing does that I knew that. And I've always been writing and communicating stuff. And I just like, I'm now, I'm now having a, re- a realization that this is where this comes from, which is like, I've always, I spoke at like my eighth grade graduation, my high school graduation and in college, I was getting into like journalism classes and just creating stuff. And to be honest with you, I was never really that good in school and I didn't take it very seriously. And so I just never really figured out what that was. And when I graduated from college, I graduated the worst time, which was right after the 2008 recession where they weren't hiring. And nobody was hiring anyone. They definitely weren't hiring marketers. And so I had a degree in marketing that I got in school. But to be honest with you, that was just so I could pick something so I could have a major. I had no idea what marketing is or what marketing does. And that got me into um, PR internship was the first job that I had out of college. And, and it was really there that I started to realize that like, oh, this this skill and the thing that I like doing, writing, communicating, creating stuff like this can be used to like have an impact on a business. And I was good at my job in, in PR and I turned that into an in-house job and have kind of just evolved ever since then into into marketing. Gotcha. And I know you spent transition to product marketing, I think at Constant Contact, it looked like. And then then you you had your first experience at Privy and now you're back. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah, so exactly. So is that it was at Constant Contact where I went from, it was cool because I got an in-house PR job there. And then I I kind of like turned that job into a market. I, I worked with the marketing team really closely and then they were hiring. And, and so I transitioned from, from PR to product marketing and that's what got me into marketing. But it was through being at Constant Contact that I still didn't really like marketing yet. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. The only thing I knew that I wanted was I got really interested in startups. And I was like, I just want to join a startup. Like I want to do a bunch of every, I want to do a little bit of everything because I don't know what that really means, what marketing is. And so I left Constant Contact to join Privy the first time. And I joined and there was maybe like 10 people at the company. They had about 30 customers and Ben, who's a CEO, he said, hey, I know you're doing product marketing today. I don't have a marketing job for you. But I actually think like we have 30 customers now. We need like an account manager, like a customer success person. I think you could do that job and you, it's yours if you want it, but it's just just know that it's not going to be a marketing job. And I was like, yeah, cool. Maybe I want to be a product manager. Maybe this is a good path to get there. And so I ended up like was responsible for our customer, our first 30 customers, which was literally like me on my cell phone calling them because like their credit card didn't go through and I had to reprocess their payment or me on their cell phone driving to like my wife's house in Vermont trying to help some woman like get her campaign out the door. And it was like an amazing experience. But ultimately, we didn't have the right product at the right time. And we weren't focused on the right stuff. And a company had come in to acquire us, which we thought was going to be like a nice little saving uh, grace and, and we could end on a high note. But that acquisition actually after three weeks, it fell through and we were left with a thousand dollars in the bank. And that was the year that I was getting married. And so I was like, hell no, I'm not staying here. <laughs> I need to get, I need to make the money this year. And so I left and and I, I went to HubSpot because it was actually through a podcast of my own called Tech in Boston, little side side thing that I had that Mike got to know me and they wanted to launch a podcast at HubSpot. And he hired me after my kind of privy failure. And, and we went on at HubSpot to create the growth show. I was there for nine months at HubSpot until Mike and Joe Chernoff ended up leaving. And uh, that's when I met David Cancel and joined Drift. So it's all, it is all kind of like one crazy connected story that I'm feeling like really good about being back here. So I know, it, you know, Dave, in between your stint, first stint at Privy and now your second, you rode the rocket ship that is Drift. So how did you end up at Drift? And then I want to hear, then we'll get into Privy and where, where it's going. 
I got to drift because I had David Cancel on my podcast. I had a podcast at the time that was called Tech and Boston, where I went around just interviewing local CEOs and founders. And it was a really cool project for me. And David had been at Drift for almost a year. They hadn't really told anybody what they were doing. And I've always fo- I had always followed him. And he was very this very mysterious entrepreneur to me. He had done five or six companies. He was this like legendary chief product officer at HubSpot. And but I had never like seen him or heard or heard an interview. And so he actually reached out to me because he wanted m- me to promote like a an office new office opening party because I had like. I had a pretty good audience back then of people in Boston through Tech in Boston. And so I was like, sure. And I was like, oh, this is my opportunity. Sure, I'll do it. But in exchange for that, can I get you to come on my podcast? And he was like, sure, let's do it. And so I thought it was a really big deal. No, I hadn't heard him on any podcast. And he even told me, he's like, I never do stuff like this, which is funny because now at Drift, I got him to do every <laughs> every podcast <laughs> under the sun. But uh, I, I got him on Tech in Boston and, and Mike Volpe had left HubSpot at the time and, and Joe Chernov. And so I was kind of in between. I was like not loving what I was doing at HubSpot. I was trying to like work my way out. And I met David. I had him on my podcast. And the next day I'm like writing up the show notes and I'm looking on AngelList to just find like how they explain the company. And I see a job posting, which is Drift, marketing manager. And I was like, Oh, wait, this is this guy is like legit as he sounded. I, I'm just doing editing his interview right now. So like I still I slept on it. I still think he's awesome. I'm just gonna message him. And so I when I sent him a link to the podcast, I said, by the way, I saw you're hiring a marketing person. Like I applied on AngelList, like I'd love to come and talk. And they had had some other people in the process, but I guess David had once he heard that I had reached out, the recruiter was like, Hey, this guy Dave uh, reached out about the marketing job. And David was like, Oh, that was the guy that interviewed me for his podcast. Yeah, have him come back in. So that was really cool. And so so he had me back in and, and like I, I literally came back the next day and it was so weird because I had just interviewed him for my podcast. And the next day I'm talking to him again and I'm like, just talking about me and the company. And, um, that ended up leading to an offer. And, uh, that's how I started. I love it. I love it. I think you're the only person I know that has gotten like, it seems like multiple jobs through a podcast or podcasting effort. (laughs) So (laughs) congrats. Yeah. I mean, it, it speaks to like, it's not even about the podcast, but it, it speaks to like just having a brand for yourself, I think. Because I've always like, whether it was a pod, it could have been a podcast, it could have been a YouTube channel, it could have been a blog. I think like as a marketer, I've always had this itch to just create something outside of work on my own. And I love talking about marketing and that's what I do now. But back then I, I just wanted something of my own. I wanted a side project because I was like 25, 26 years old and when you're usually like that age at a company, especially a big company, like I was at HubSpot or, or I was at Constant Contact, you don't really get the keys to do anything. Like that's a gross overstatement. I know people are going to get upset at that, but I wanted to be able to change the website to how I wanted. I wanted to be able to send the emails how, how I wanted. And so having that side project, like it was beyond a podcast. It taught me, how do you set up a website? How do you do audio? How do you get sponsor sales? How do you grow a list on MailChimp? Like it taught me all those things. And so beyond that, I learned so much just about marketing, but on the benefit number two was like, people got to know who I, who I am beyond my company when I'm just like a name of, I'm just one person inside a thousand person company. And that, that really helped. Well, that's awesome. Let's talk about Privy. What is Privy? Describe it for listeners that are listening and that may not have come across it yet. Yeah. So we're an e-commerce marketing platform. So this is marketers. So you should know what that is. (laughs) (laughs) But basically what that means is e-commerce is such a hot industry right now. I'm sure you know that. I'm sure your listeners know that. But the rise has been mainly powered through Shopify, which is Shopify has made it really easy for you to go and set up an online 
online store, but you don't have any tools to actually get people to your online store. And if you're mar- if you're in marketing, you know that that's the value of marketing. And so at Privy, we have website conversion product, an email product, and soon to be a text product, text messaging, which make up our, our platform that's really built to help you grow your business. And so Shopify is what you'd use to set up your online store. Privy is what you'd use to actually do marketing and grow and get people into your online store and sell more stuff. Got it. And so what what's it like coming back to the company a second time? I mean, I know your role is very different now. You're not a, you're not the sales guy, you're the chief marketing officer. Honestly, nothing feels feels like a completely new company to be honest with you. The only thing that feels this that feels weird or the same is I still report to Ben, but now I'm the CMO and I have like I have more people, I'm going to have more people on my marketing team and a bigger budget for my marketing team than we did as a company <laughs> like when I was here the first time. And so that feels different, but I mean, that feels similar, but everything else feels different. The team is different. The product is different. The opportunity is different. The revenue is different. Everything feels different. And that was part of the thing that was really attractive to me in in coming back here was not just knowing Ben personally, but because I had history here and because I knew him personally and because they hadn't really invested in marketing at a high level, I basically got his gift to say, like, you can restart. Like, I want you to, like, build marketing from the ground up. And that was the attractive thing, which is, like, I loved everything I learned at Drift was amazing. But what I like doing is building. And it's why I always have these side projects going on that I realize is, like, because I love tinkering. I love making stuff on my own. And so I really wanted to get back to an early stage company and, like, build something and grow it. And it was it was amazing because how often do you get an opportunity to do that and there's already a customer base. There's 400,000 people that are using Privy today. And so I get to come in and do do marketing here versus like usually you get to start marketing and you have nothing. You have no traffic. You know, we have 100,000 people coming to our website. We have 10,000 people signing up for our product every month. And they, have, they haven't scratched the surface on what's possible in marketing yet. And I was like, oh my God, this sounds like my, my dream to go get to play there. That's awesome. You've built, seems like, multiple marketing organizations now, or at least enhanced them and, and put them on steroids, so to speak. Where are you starting? Where are you starting on, on your marketing build out? Yeah. I mean, to be fair, I'll do something that nobody does, which is I'll tell you that I actually, I've only built one marketing team. I think people like to do this thing where like once they leave a company, they take all the credit for everything that I was nobody at HubSpot. I was there for nine months and I didn't have, I didn't report like, you know, I didn't have anything. And so I'm not going to take credit for anything that happened there. My only experience was Drift where I was the first marketer and grew the team to about 30. So what I'm learning, there's kind of two things that I'm learning is that I wanted to apply here. Number one is I think people get too married to like the ideal imaginary marketing org structure and not necessarily figuring out like, what do you need to do? When do you need to do it by? And they focus too much on hiring to the org structure versus like, why not rethink it? Like I treated this as an opportunity, like who cares about like, well, there's typically a VP here and demand gen reports here and product marketing reports here and comms reports here, like great. But that has nothing to do with our business and where we're at. And so I just like really had the confidence to not fall for some org chart but instead to just create the team that I wanted and think that will be successful for us. And so we're going to be a small team. We'll have maybe 10 people, 12 people max this year. And I just wanted to split the marketing team into two. And and so half of the team is focused on, and not half, but the team is split like this, brand and demand. And that's it, dead simple. And brand is content, creative, social, product marketing, and some support for our partner marketing team. And then demand is the full funnel. It's traffic, acquisition, trial, conversion, retention. 
And I think I like that. We'll see how it actually works, but I think it just simplifies the roles and responsibilities a little bit. Got it. No, that's that's helpful too. I, and I mean, that's a big notion, brand and demand sitting within the same organization, splitting functions. Do they collaborate or do you kind of task them separately and um, let them run and not against each other, but you know, almost separately? I'm just curious how it works. It's really both of those things. So like I split them up intentionally because I want us to like, the podcast, like let's say doing our, like the brand team owns our podcast and an event that we're going to do, right? Those things always get worse when they when they have some shared ownership with demand gen. And that's not demand gen's fault, but it's because like demand gen sees like, wait a second, we built up this audience of 50,000 people. Like we need to try to sell into that audience. Like I'm behind on my goal. And you sacrifice the great stuff that you get from brand. And if you think, if you think demand gen first, but on the flip side of that brand team needs to be able to feed the demand gen team what we need. And, and so there's just too many competing like priorities when they're trying to balance both things. And so I think here, what I'm most excited about is I think this model works really well in a small team because it forces us to be collaborative. And so what that means is we're setting goals around our book and our podcast and our event and our online community that are not demand gen goals. So the brand team has to make those things happen. However, brand is also basically like the agency for the demand gen team. So, hey, we need these new video ads. We need you know these landing pages because I want the same level of creativity and consistency across everything. Got it. Got it. That makes sense. And so what it, what it comes down to is the person who runs the brand team and the person who runs the demand team, there's no magic formula other than like they need to talk to each other and be adults and lay out the priorities and together come with a plan. And I can help mediate that if needed. But like, that's how we figure out what to do and what to prioritize. And the good part is the demand gen person can have the numbers and the metrics and to see, are we ahead? Are we behind? Should we really be focusing this? Or do we need to focus everything this week on this one gap in our funnel? And it's also fun because we have a, a low ASP and a high volume funnel that's has a 15 day sales cycle. And so we can be super agile and say like, this is what we're fo- like, we have bigger stuff in play, but this week we're focusing our resources to, to focus on this thing. Right. 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 That makes sense. That makes sense. You've got the demand team as well. And double click on that a little bit for me. Do you have that formula, if you will, from your prior experience at Drift? Are you kind of restarting, remaking that from scratch where you are? We're remaking it from scratch. So we hired an amazing like demand gen person who's who's a, a spreadsheet thinker. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean like great demand gen people are going to say, okay, here's the revenue goal for the year and then just work backwards. Okay, here's how much traffic we need. Here's this assumptions around conversion rate. Here's assumptions around churn. Here's assumptions around channels. And they come back to the rest of the team with like, all right, here's the plan. How are we going to do this? And that to me has been the mistake that I didn't hire for really closely in the early days at Drift was like hiring that person who's awesome at that. Because my tendency as a marketer is to be more on the brand, buzz, comms, creative, communication, product marketing side. Like I've done the demand gen piece in the early days at Drift, but I need that partner who knows it better than me. And so number one priority for me was hiring that into this new company, somebody that I could feel really good about that's going to run the funnel day to day. And we have that. And so that's how we think about like demand gen is first, we, let's lay the groundwork for like the funnel. Because I don't want to do, we have a small team and not that many resources. And, and I, I don't want to do things in marketing that we, we're not seeing a return on. It doesn't mean that everything is going to be direct response marketing, but it just means like, let's get the funnel tight first. Then we can go do the crazy brand stuff that I want to do. And so like, if the, if the funnel is tight and cranking, then I can say, yeah, you know what? Let's take 10 grand out of this month's budget and do that crazy idea that we had. Right. 
No, that makes perfect sense. That was you, you hit on my, almost my next question, which is how you measure it. Obviously, it's through the funnel. But when you think about once you've got that in place and now you're going to like boost, if you will, your efforts with the brand side, how has that translated into your funnel metrics in the past? Or maybe that's not the way to think about it. I'm just kind of curious because a, a lot of marketers wrestle with how to make brand pay, if that makes sense. It's hard because I think... Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Like, the ultimate way to make brand pay that people want is you run a big brand awareness survey. But like, most, let's be honest, most companies, that's a, just a waste of time. Like you're not, you're not PNG, right? Like you're not going to go run a aided brand, unaided versus like that doesn't matter for us, right? Like, and so I think so much of brand is like, you have to use your brain and use your gut. And like, are more people coming out of the woodwork to talk about privy now? Yes. Okay. So does that mean we've done a good job so far? Yes. Like I, I always look for signs like that, right? Where you can just have a gut feel. If you stay close to social media and the internet, you can have a good gut feeling for like, are more people talking about you? Now, it also matters though, like who you report to. And so I report to a CEO who also can know it. And I, I did this at, at Drift and I did this at Privy, right? I was lucky enough to work for two CEOs who get marketing. And so they're not asking me, they're not saying like, what? okay, what are the direct sales metrics from launching this podcast? Instead, Ben, our CEO, he's been sending me screenshots for two days of the things people are saying on Twitter that's amazing about the show. Like, that's all I need to check that box. But on a more tactical level, you'll notice that the majority of the traffic to your site skews to be direct or organic, and it's growing. And, and we've seen that. Like, that's what we saw at Drift, and we're going to see it again uh, here at Privy. And like, I think there's a lot of times where we just, we want this perfect answer from from like, how do you measure brand? And I, I don't think it's worth investing in getting unless unless you're really like moving towards being an enterprise company. Yeah, no. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. I know you just launched, I think today or yesterday, the e-commerce marketing show, the podcast you just mentioned. It seems like podcast is a is an important thing for you. Is there a reason why? Or is it a personal passion? There is a reason why. And the reason why is that I think it's the one... It's the form of marketing that you get the most leverage from if you do it right. And so what I didn't want to do is come in here and be like, let's get the blog cranking. And now we're blogging five times a week, right? Like I wanted to start with a show first, because if you start with the show first, you can get all the other content with it. So like from this interview right now, you're going to get interview with Privy CMO, Dave Gerhardt. Craig, great. You're going to upload that. But you can also get, there's also like, we just talked about marketing team structure, right? That's a whole sub segment that you could break out, 
have somebody ghostwrite that, turn it into an article, turn it into video clips. It could be a whole webinar and content strategy around that. And so audio drives everything. And like I learned this because at Drift, I knew that David Cancel was like a well-known guy as a CEO. And I wanted to just like get a ton of content. When nobody knew who Drift was, I was like, shoot, my best opportunity to blow this brand up is to just tell his story over and over again. And so I really just started our podcast at Drift because I started interviewing David and just saying like, hey, I'm going to ghostwrite something for you once a week on your LinkedIn. But like, you're never going to do it. And I can't write in your voice. So can I just interview you? And like, I realized the power of having that audio gives me everything. And so we would even be like trading voice notes. Like he would be in the car and just send me like a two minute rant on WhatsApp. And I could take that and turn it into an article for him. And I think that really showed me like the power of, of audio. And ideally you start even higher up depending on what your goals are. Like, I also think video is going to be a big part of our strategy. And we need, we need a lot of video content to help teach mark, uh, e-commerce entrepreneurs how to do marketing. And so we're going to video everything so we can then get the audio so that we can then get the content so then we can then get the social content, the emails and, and all that stuff. I think it's a way of like setting that one big anchor and saying like, this is where everything's going to come from versus I think the mistake that a lot of marketers make is like, we're going to start an email list and we got our blog and we're also like the customer team's doing a podcast and we have a YouTube channel. Like none of those things ever end up being good or valuable. Whereas I know that even if nobody listens to our show, we're going to get enough content to feed our funnel for a year if we do it right. And that alone is worth the investment. That's awesome. Well, I know you've also got your own private podcast through Patreon. Tell us a little bit about what you're doing there experimenting wise. I mean, that's a new model, right? Getting paid for the actual podcast through a subscription model. Yeah. So I, I've, I've speaking of like tinkering and, and side projects for a while, I have wanted to I realized like the thing that I love is marketing and I love talking about marketing and there's a certain subset of marketers who just love that and also a lot of entrepreneurs who want to know. And it's a thing that I'm passionate about. It's what I can talk about easily. And I had just, I've always thought about like maybe... It'd be cool to do like back in like the old school direct marketing days, like the mastermind, like create a mastermind group and like have 10 people that I meet with quarterly and we learn from each other. And that was like one thing I explored. But then I realized like, no, marketing is what I love talking about. I know how to do a podcast. It's really easy for me. I could be walking to work and have something in in my head and just like literally pull out my phone and I have a, a nice little mic for my iPhone and like I can make an eight minute podcast episode on my way to work. And I think people would get value from that. That was like one thought I've had for a couple of years now. On top of that, I've spent the last like two years really investing in LinkedIn. And I was going to start a blog. I was going to start an email list, but then I just said, you know what? I'm just going to go all in on LinkedIn. The organic reach on LinkedIn has been insane. And so I'm just going to post every thought that comes to my head. I'm going to post it on LinkedIn. I'm not going to schedule stuff. I'm just going to like talk about marketing and something I, I saw a big change happen, which is I used to use LinkedIn as a way to promote my company, which is Drift. But I made a change and say, you know what? I'm only going to talk about marketing. I'm never going to promote a company. I'm just going to, and that, that's not never, every now and then, every 10th post, I would say like, hey, check out this podcast or go to this webinar. But I would just talk about marketing. And when I just talked about marketing and business and career, my LinkedIn content started to just skyrocket. And it's like, oh my God, I was missing like the most obvious marketing lesson that I know, which is the more value you add, the more you're going to get out of this. And so I think I grew my LinkedIn account from like 5,000 followers to 40,000 in like a year. And the organic reach that I have now on LinkedIn is insane. And so with the combination of those things, I said, 
you know what? I bet there's an opportunity for me to do like a more intimate private version of this. And cause I have a lot of things that I want to share, but I don't want to, I don't want to necessarily give away all my, all the secrets and, and thoughts that I have. And I want to give away all that in the public. And also there's some things that I might say or talk about that might piss people off or might give them like the wrong impression. Not that I'm a bad person, but if I have a, a crazy campaign idea and I post that on LinkedIn, someone's going to always post like you insensitive a-hole like if you're paying for my stuff, like you, you're okay with me saying that. You're not going to be like, this guy sucks. And so I said, you know what? I'm going to try to do it. And my wife is actually a subscriber to two shows on Patreon. And I was like, I want to do it, but I don't have time. And I just talk a lot. And so can I just do a podcast? And she's like, well, what if you did Patreon? And I was like, oh yeah, I could do Patreon. They manage the whole website for me. All I have to do is record audio. It creates an RSS feed for you. Then, it, then like you ask people to add that to their podcast player and it's done. And that's been so easy. Like I have a lot of beefs with Patreon. There's a lot of bugs and weird stuff. But just as far as like I can record something into my phone or into a nice mic and upload it and I have my private podcast and then, and then I'm taking pictures all the time and sharing like I'm at Whole Foods and I saw this picture of this ad that they're running and I posted it in my Patreon and, and like it's just a level of like intimacy with that group that you can't get on another channel. And, and it's been amazing. I think there's like 350 members in there. and it, It's super active. And, and it's something that also is a recurring business for me on the side, which is revenue every single month through me talking about marketing, which is really cool. No, that's fascinating. It's fascinating. I've thought about trying that avenue m myself, but I, I didn't, I don't have the, quite the following that you do, I think. <laughs> so, but, uh, but that being said, it's, it's nice to hear that you've seen it as successful and it's working for you. So, and I think it's, it's like, I think to your, your, your point on following is right. But I also think like, to me, my approach was like, even if like 10 people subscribe and do this, it would be cool and worth it. And like, I didn't expect it to be this big. I actually had no expectations. I thought it'd maybe be like 50 people, but it's just, it's kind of crazy how the, and I haven't promoted it that much. I've, I've intentionally the last couple of weeks said, I'm just not going to promote it. And the referrals have just been, have been crazy. And so, yeah, maybe you have 10, maybe you have 20. It's okay. No, that's good. That's good. I mean, it's almost like your own personal advisor group or focus group, maybe. Yeah. And I, I just like, I really do believe in like the power of having a personal brand. And I think that I want to continue to invest in that because ultimately, like I am Dave and I am a brand of myself and I want to control my own future or, or destiny. And like, I want to, I think there's a future path where I'll do something that's not at a, at a software company probably after this. And, and I think this is like setting the the framework for me to be able to do that now so I can have this thing brewing and then who knows what's going to happen in, in, in a couple of years. What's next? What You've got a lot ahead of you at Privy for 2020. Anything you want to share? Or, or just broad base what you're hoping to achieve? Yeah, I mean, I'm really excited about the opportunity at Privy because it's such a good fit with the thing that I love, which is marketing. And we're selling to small businesses and entrepreneurs. And so that means that I can like go teach marketing and go learn about marketing and continue to do that where I don't know how good I'd be at, as the CMO of like a cybersecurity company, but I think the, the audience and the opportunity we have in the market is going to be really receptive to the type of marketing that like, that I like doing. And, and I also am really looking to forward to like just reinventing myself a little bit, which is I think marketing you, to be good in marketing, you have to always be evolving and always be changing and finding what's new and what's next. And, I am going into this with a little bit of a chip on my shoulder in that I want to show people that this is stuff that I can build and this is marketing stuff that I'm figuring out. And I want to show people that like 
oh, it, he was just part of a rocket ship. Like he got lucky. I want to put Privy on the map. So in four years, I can have Drift under my belt, Privy under my belt. And they're like, oh, maybe this guy might know a thing about marketing. Like, and I know that sounds like a little arrogant in this moment, but like, I think it's fun to, to come at it from that perspective and, and want to put this company on the map as well. No, I, don't, I mean, I don't think it's, I don't think it's arrogant at all. And I think the way you, you said it, it almost discounts the great experience that you've already had, but I get what you mean. You want another feather in your cap. <laughs> yeah, and I want to, and I want to do it differently. I don't, I, I want to do new things and I want to learn new things. And like, I think that's the, that's the recipe in marketing that's never going to change. Tools and technology and all that stuff is always going to change. But if you can continue to understand people and just evolve with whatever comes with that, I think that's how you become successful in the long term. Got it. Cool. Well, I want to switch gears a little bit. And um, we've been talking about you, but I want to go a little deeper. And I love asking this question, which, you know, is there an experience of your past that defines or makes up who you are today? Okay, so for me, it's not one specific memory, but I've just always had this, like, I think I come from a family where my parents we're always working and working hard. And my, my dad works in food service at universities and colleges. My mom is a, is a high school teacher. And so like, I have just always seen them work and always put in the work. And, and I've just always felt like, I don't want to say, I get hesitant when people talk about them being self-made because I, you know, I come from like a middle-class family and like my life was very easy, but I do think like, I've just always had this chip on my shoulder that I have to figure things out and I got to figure things out on my own. And I think that's helped me as a marketer and company builder and brand builder and whatever the stuff that I'm doing, because it's forced me to get in and do the work, no matter what it is. Like if I don't know this, the only way I'm going to learn it, even if it's going to be outsourced or delegated or somebody else on the team is going to do it later. The only way that I'm going to learn it is if I get my hands on it and do it for a little bit. And I think that's helped me as a marketer, because what it's meant is that I always try to do the work first before I then try to scale it. And so like, if I look back at the people that I've hired that some people haven't worked out, I, hiring decisions that I've made that are mistakes, it's because I didn't, I didn't know the job or the role or the, the need close enough myself, where if I look back at the most successful people I hired, like an events person at Drift, I did our first five events by myself, and I had to figure out the playbook. And so then I knew what we needed. And I knew what success looked like. And so I've always had that bias to like, you know, both my parents are so stubborn in that way today still, which is like, I'll do it myself. And I think that has forced me to like, figure out marketing. I love it. love it. What advice would you give your younger self if you're starting all over and you're still young? So maybe you, the advice you give yourself today. The advice that I would give myself is just like stay learning. And I've seen like, I never really cared about reading or studying or, or watching videos. And in the last probably five or six years, I've really just done that. And I've seen what an impact it's made on me. And like, I think you can be, you can always learn, especially today. It's so easy, like between your Kindle and Audible and podcasts and YouTube, it's insane what you can learn without having to go to school and learn on your own. And so I just want to, this is a reminder to myself to just like continue to invest in myself and continue to learn and don't act like you know anything. If you have that mindset. David, who, who's one of my mentors at Drift, right, was like, he always has this mindset he talks about of like, I don't know. And if you go in pretending like you don't know the answer, then you can go find the solution. So I try to remind myself that like, yeah, I've had a little bit of success in marketing, but like I am 32 years old. Like I really don't know anything about marketing. <laughs> and it's easy to like, get caught up in the world of like everybody online thinks they know everything. Right, right, right. So marketers tend to be students of the business and, and what's going on around them. And obviously learning, like you just mentioned, curious if there's brands or companies or even causes or something like that, that you are really focused on or you're, you're taking notice of, you think other people should pay attention. Yeah, this is, this is the one that like, this is what people ask for like a fun fact or anything. And 
I'm at the stage in my life where I go to work and I go home and I, I have two young kids. One is two and a half, one is seven months. And so I don't, I don't actually like follow many brands or companies that closely. And I think that's what has helped me become a better marketer because I, I don't really have a sense of like what you should be doing. What I am obsessed with is like, I watch a lot of reality TV with my wife and like, it's actually insane how many marketing things you can get from watching like the Kardashians and people that are listening to this might laugh and, and like, I think that's dumb, but like, I, I promise you that Kim Kardashian and them are insane marketers. And if you go into that with that mindset, you can learn so much. And so I actually, I really do see everything as marketing now. And I, I try to see like what I'm interested in, what my wife is doing, what my friends are doing. And instead of one particular brand, I'm kind of looking at everything in aggregate and just seeing like who's doing what well. And, and it comes from a lot of just like individual people you might find on, on YouTube who, who you don't think of as B2B software marketers or whatever. Right. No, that makes sense. That makes sense. Last question for you. You can kind of take three different approaches to this. You can pick whichever one makes the most sense for you. Is there a threat or an opportunity that you think marketers should be aware of as they enter 2020? Or is there something you think marketers need to be doing, regardless of it being 2020, that they're not doing today? I think the threat of 2020 to me is that there's only going to be more technology in marketing. The rise of tech, tools, AI, this and that, like we're, we're only at the beginning of this marketing technology wave. And I think that whether AI replaces a bunch of things in marketing or not, the point is that technology is going to continue to just eat marketing. And I think the bias for everybody is to become technology first, where that all to me is going to be table stakes. You can either have a robot do it or find someone who's really good and hire them to do it or learn how to do it because you can, there's always going to be ways to learn the technology. The thing that you need to focus on is creativity. Like creativity is going to be the variable for how well your marketing actually is received by the market. And my concern is that we're going to lose creativity because everyone has this cookie cutter, like here's where the ads go. Here's when the emails go out. Here's when we do the webinars. We've got a podcast. We're doing an event. We're doing this. Like where you still need to be in that room or on a walk or in the shower thinking about like, what is the crazy thing that we could be doing that no one's doing that's going to get everybody talking about us? Or what's that random thing that, that would change? Like, what's the next level thing that we're going to be doing? And I think that you have to focus on creativity. That's the thing that I'm betting on is understanding people and focusing on creativity. It's why I've hired the team the way that I've done is so like, there's someone who's much better than me, much more of a, of a spreadsheet analytical thinker than I am. He's going to run the funnel that will free me up to try to focus on being creative and thinking about the big things. And I think you can't lose that, especially in a world where everyone's marketing is starting to look very similar. That's great advice. Great advice. Well, Dave, thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Anytime I get to talk to marketing with somebody else who also loves the cause, I appreciate it. Well, I'll have you on again at some point in the future. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Hi, it's Alan again. Marketing Today was created and produced by me. If you're new to Marketing Today, please feel free to write us a review on iTunes or your favorite listening platform. Don't forget to subscribe and tell your friends and colleagues about the show. I love to hear from listeners and you can contact me at marketingtodaypodcast.com. There you'll also find complete show notes with links to anything we talk about on any episode. You can also search our archives. I'm Alan Hart and this is Marketing Today. Marketing Today.